This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. I have felt thin lately, not in a bad way, just in a physical sort of way, even a psychological way. Uh, I've had a lot uh, on my plate as we've been sort of closing out the, the training season, and I recognize a tendency inside of me to almost uh, feel like I need to disconnect uh, from responsibility, just for, you know, to self uh, sustain, to self-soothe. It's a very interesting propensity, and I haven't done it, even, even though I'm, I'm telling you about the propensity. I haven't done that, but wow, it is very interesting to recognize just the bait towards that, that selfish craving that we have, which is very justifiable, I think, if any of us uh, are in our, our own body going through situations like that, where we feel like we need to retreat. And there is something scripturally about Sabbath, okay? So it's not to even discard that. There is a proper way of recovering strength that I think God wants to walk us through. But there's also an unhealthy version that we are baited towards. And right now, not just in the past two weeks, I'm saying in this past season, we as Christians can feel more tired when we when we're wrestling ideologically, even inside of our own head, what I call, you know, kitchen conversations with the spouse, you know, the things you would never say on the street corner, but you can get away with saying them to your spouse, your frustrations, you know, the, the amount of times the, the church of Jesus Christ has said the word nonsense or idiot, uh, you know, in the past year and a half, because it is irrational. There is a certain irrationality that is taking place. I've tried to come up with a name for it where it is uh, logical, no, illogical, um, oh, what was my term? Uh, illogical, oh boy, I, I don't have it in my head. But it is, it's like the amount of confusion that has been dumped upon us and that we need to wade our way through to get to the top and to look out on top of the confusion to say, okay, Jesus is on the throne, all things are beneath his feet. It's like an extra weight. It's like a manure truck got dumped onto us, and we're just trying to make our way through it. Very odd time, but it can also cause us to feel the victim. And there are a lot of things going on in our culture today that are baiting subgroups into victim mentalities. And here's what I could say. As Christians, we cannot be one of those subgroups. Okay, we may very well be the chief target of the enemy, okay? And I'm not going to de- deny that. However, it's a better way of looking at it. The enemy is the chief target of our God. In other words, sin, yeah, he's got a bullseye on that in your life, in my life. You see, God is on the offensive. He's not on the defensive. And so if we were to reset our perspective, the bullseye is on the devil. I don't blame him for putting a bullseye on us. We're, his, we're the representation of the Most High God on this earth. We're called the Church of Jesus Christ. We reveal the manifold wisdom of God unto the heavenly realms. Yeah, I don't blame the enemy for, for saying we need to stop that. That's a compliment. 
It's not something that should put us into self-pity mode where we're sucking our thumb and in the fetal position. However, for wherever you're at, and some of you it might be the embattlement with health, for some of you it might be the embattlement in relationships, for some of you it might be the embattlement with work, with workload, whatever it is, there are reasons why we can sort of unplug and just sort of desire our season away. From, from what? To do what? I'm not sure. You know, it's not always that you know what you want. It's just that you don't want any more of this. Or you tell yourself, I can't handle that anymore. What I want us to do is I want to forthrightly in our soul declare war against that mentality, against being a victim, against self-pity, and I want us to go in the opposite direction. I want us to go after grace. Instead of whatever it is that we're after, which is some kind of reprieve, some kind of solace, some kind of soothing experience to go after that which changes the world. If you were stuck in a prison right now, I have a hunch that there could be a bait towards self-pity. I can just imagine it. You know, I'm just hazarding a guess. I've never been thrown into prison. But I could imagine things like, I didn't even do anything wrong. I was only serving Jesus. I was only loving people. Well, what do you think Paul could have said? You know, what was Paul doing that? And yet, I don't see him go towards self-pity in that moment. In fact, what he does is he asks for grace, and he immediately looks at that prison cell as his mission field. He turns the prison cell into something very different than the way we would look at it as Americans. We tend to look at it as a penalty, as an obstruction, as an inconvenience. It's in the way of what I want to do with my life. But what if God wants you in that prison cell? Well, then he's going to give you grace for that prison cell. What if there's someone on the other side of that prison wall that needs to hear Jesus? That's when you're wishing you knew Morse code. I don't really know Morse code. I should probably learn Morse code. However, it's changing your circumstance into an opportunity for grace instead of something to escape. And so that's just a starter point. Now, if you have notes, because we did print notes, I switched something out right before uh, I came, and that is the very first scripture. So uh, it's a cool scripture that you guys have. You have a, a scripture from Ezekiel uh, in there, but I'm going to go a little different way. I'm going to go with uh, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, because this is fact right here. This is promise, and I just want to set it out on the table right here, right now. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now it is a very long sentence, which, I, which is why we'll tend to pick out pieces of it, but the whole thing is very, very powerful. And this isn't necessarily what I'm teaching on. However, there's a gem in the midst of it that really fits in like a great puzzle piece into what I'm teaching on. And that is that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you take your moment that you're in where you're feeling a little thin, a little weak, and maybe even rightfully so. The circumstances in your life lead to that exact outcome physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. They are taxing. And when something taxes your body, your mind, your emotions, it depletes. And there is a need 
truly, the way even God created us, to replenish. And so if that isn't replenished, you get thinner and thinner and weaker and weaker, and you become vulnerable to behaviors that otherwise you wouldn't be participating in. Frustration is the classic one that is the first to show up in my life. I'm extra irritable. Little things that aren't really that big of a deal sort of get under my skin. And that's a signal that you're starting to feel thin. So in that moment of thinness, you oftentimes heed the appeal of the enemy, which is to self-sustain. It's like you need time for you. Okay, this is, it's a, it's a significant vulnerability. There's other things that will be whispered, and I'm sure there, there can be very specific things, like you just need to get away. You need to do this. You need to do this. Whether it's a drink from, you know, one of those frothy, sugary drinks from uh, Starbucks, whether it is to go shopping, we all have our, our different things. Whether it is to eat, you know, some big piece of pie uh, or, or cake. That's usually what gets big, right? Pie is not usually big, but a big piece of cake. Whether, I don't know what it is uh, for you, and I'm not even exactly sure what I would fill in that blank for me, but we have different escape pods that we have, which are not necessarily in the direction of obedience or an agreement with the Spirit, but they're very reasonable in the time or the challenge in which we are currently in. And so what I'm desiring in that exact moment is for us to turn a different direction and to recognize this is one of those moments in life where we can show godliness. We have everything we need for life and for godliness, which is God behavior in every situation. And so the question is, are we taking it? Because some of us know we have it, but we don't particularly want to use it right now. It's not that attractive to think of using grace right now when we could coddle self and flesh. And what I want to do is up our game. When the Christian community begins to be persecuted in a more intense fashion, it sobers you very quickly to recognize we can't keep living the way we're living. We have to sharpen the pencil. We, have, we can't be dull in this battle. We have to be ready at every turn. And if we run into a situation where we need to make a decision of if it's for Christ or to save our life uh, and to spare difficulty in our life, we need to be ready to choose Jesus at every turn, which means in every small situation, we need to be practicing that same movement. So this is, you know, this message is called upping our game. And so the idea of an upgrade is sort of this idea that I want to float out there. And, you know, many of us have computers, okay? I'm assuming probably all of us do, but I, I don't want to just presume that. I'm just going to say probably most of us do. The computer that refuses to upgrade. Now, that also could be the owner of the computer that refuses to upgrade. You ever been that, that owner? Uh, it's like someone comes in, your computer's not working. They're like, have you upgraded lately? And you're like, what's that? Or, or you try and act like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it didn't give me a notice to do it. You know, we have all our reasons why we don't do it. But it also, like for me, the reason I don't upgrade regularly, well, as often as I should, is because it, I need, the, if I'm using that computer, I need to use the computer. And that crazy upgrade shuts down my computer. It's like taking forever. And I don't have time for that right now. So it keeps building up. And then my programs start, stop working. I don't know if you guys have ever had this phenomenon where your, your life is just not functioning. Your computer's like, you know, spinning. And then someone, you know, it's always like a Josh Kinnebrew character, you know, like, yeah, my computer's not working. Have you upgraded lately? <laughs> and of course that solves the problem too. That, you know, it's, but that's exactly what we need right now. 
Some of us have spinning wheels inside of our life, and we have challenges because we are trying to keep our life as it was, instead of upgrading to what God's premier package for living is right now. God knows what we're facing right now, and he has an upgrade package for us. It's called grace. It's like, you want it? Or are you going to complain about it and just keep your old system going? And if you try and hold on to your old system, it does not work in the new operating system of our world. It does not work, and it will create tremendous dysfunction in our life. So I'm going to show what happens to a computer that refuses to be upgraded. It's an embattled computer. You can choose which word best fits it for you. It's a non-functional computer. It's unable to perform as it ought. It's unready to supply help. You ever had that? It's like, I really need to get this information now, and your computer's like spinning. It's like, ah, it's pathetic in time of need. Or how about this one? It's slowly creeping toward paperweight status. (laughs) So however you would describe it, this is what we don't want to be right now as the church. And yet I would say we are, in a strange sense, refusing an upgrade. We don't want to go after the greater grace of all that we need for life and godliness. We want to bemoan the fact that our world is crumbling and that evil people are tearing down great systems of government that once stood so strong and noble. And instead of upgrading to say, God, I need what you have to give right now, we're bemoaning and we're in turmoil in our inner man. We're looking the wrong direction. Upping. So I like the word. Instead of upgrade, I chose the word upping. So let me define upping. To increase, to stoke, to better, to enlarge, to sharpen, to refine, to move higher, to move onward. We want to up our game. We don't want to lessen our game right now. We want to up our game. And, you know, the classic uh, picture is, you know, the star of the team gets traded or, you know, gets uh, taken in free agency. And now the rest of the players have to up their game. And in a strange way, we're in a situation where it feels like a lot of the church is, not, is refusing to play right now. And we're not really the ones that we're expecting to be in the game, but we're being called on. It's like, Eric, I need you now. But coach, I, I'm really not that good. <laughs> Eric, now. What I need to trust is when God calls my name, he calls my number would be the sports term, When my number gets called, that God is going to give me what I need to play out that role, to play that part. Most of us don't really want our number called any more than we would want uh, God bringing up our name in a discussion with the devil, like, have you considered my servant Job? It's like, don't consider me right now, Lord, please. And yet, technically, what we want is to be living the sort of Christian life which is ready and available and able to be called on right now. The endless frontier, always upping the game. So many of you have heard me describe the endless frontier. It's just sort of a a piece of our, our training. And it's always been, the way I would describe it is it's part of the mentality behind every book I've ever written, every message I've ever given, which is there's more. And I never have come to the conclusion that what we have is all there is, that there is more to be discovered, there's more to be had. Even though Jesus Christ finished the work and he has supplied everything we need for life and godliness, there's an exploration to get it. 
which means today I have something, yes, and it's very real and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but tomorrow I need to, I ought to progress and I ought to continue forward. And so this comes from a communication back and forth with my vocal coach. His name was Dr. Scott. And at the time, he was one of the top five vocal coaches in the world. He was just this Yoda-like character uh, and uh, just a brilliant man when it came to vocal training. And yet he was also a master of motivation, too. And so right when you think you know everything about singing, he would divulge the fact that you've just begun. You hardly know anything, son. And so I had been training with him for a year, and I felt like if I'm training and this is like, he asked me to do six hours a day. So if you could imagine how much training went into my first year of working under this man, it was a monstrous amount of my life that was dedicated to singing. And how much is there to know about singing? I mean, come on, you, once you figure it out, you get it down, move forward. That's what I was thinking. I mean, it's expensive to be paying this guy. Have I reached this, this echelon of professionalism yet? Am I there? And I still remember he never once complimented me for a whole year. And so I'm working my tail off for this guy. And finally, after about a year, I get up the guts to ask him the question. Scott, and I bounce on my toes as I'm doing. I'm awkward. Uh, how good am I? And he, he laughs in response to that. That was his response is a laugh. And he said, Eric, you were a soccer player, weren't you? I go, yeah. How old were you when you started playing soccer? I was eight. Okay, imagine you're eight years old and you've been playing soccer for a month. How good were you? I go, I stunk. And he goes, exactly. <laughs> then he says, before you get discouraged, you need to realize that singing is an endless frontier. You have taken one step into an endless frontier and you're asking me how far you've gone. You've gone one step into an endless frontier. However, you are one step further than 99.999% of the rest of the human race. But never pitch your tent. When he said that, it clarified something in my soul and that I was looking for a flat piece of ground in my life, in my musical career, where I could call it good enough. It's like, okay, if I, if I, if I reach that point, because I really don't want to have to work any more than, uh, than I have. So is this good enough? And he was puncturing my good enough theory. And he was basically showing me an idea for all of life. I didn't know that. I don't think he even knew it. However, for all of life, it's not just singing. Who really cares about singing in light of some of these other topics? Like my marriage, my family, my walk with God. What if I didn't just look for a, a little piece of, of, of ground and go, hey, look, I've accomplished it. I'm a Christian now. All right, look, uh, I, I've done what I needed to do. Instead, to say, look, I'm one step into an endless frontier. What should we do the next day? Take another step. I mean, what if we had a pioneering mentality instead of, a, instead of a settler mentality in our spiritual life? And so what, when I'm talking about upping our game, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying pull up your tent stakes. Let's go. We have a place to progress to, and that is a deeper relationship with Christ, a greater, grander revelation of his kingdom. And we can't stay where we're at and do that. So in the Bible, there is a river. We know it. It has multiple names, but 
The river of life is one of the names that is going to uh, come out in Revelation, but this river is all throughout the Bible. Even Ezekiel's mobile chariot, which is like the Holy of Holies uh, on, you know, on cherubim wheels, is going to have like this glassy like river that comes out in front of the throne. And that's where this seems to come from. It seems to be a river that gushes from the throne of God. And so when we go to the book of Ezekiel, we actually see this river. And it is like, its fountainhead is inside the house of God, the temple of God, in this temple that is going to be described in great detail in the book of Ezekiel, as far as we know, has never been built on this earth, right? It's, it, we have no record of it. And so it seems to be like a heavenly temple or the perfect temple, which we could call Jesus Christ. But then out of, this out of this temple is going to burst forth a fountain. It's going to gush out the door of the temple, which would be disconcerting to all of us if we had a fountain open up in the middle of our house and start gushing out. It would be disturbing, right? But in the Bible, you ever notice that they act all normal about things like that? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, a river's flowing out of the house. Sure, totally normal. Uh, why don't you get out your measuring stick? We'll measure this river. And so that's where I'm going to pick up in this story is we're going to have the river is coming out, Ezekiel is witnessing this, and then there's going to be this character, this angelic-like character that has a measuring rod in his hand. I want us to see and witness how this river functions because I believe this river is very important for us to see. It's not a stagnant pond. It is something that is progressing. In the New Testament, we're going to recognize that this river is the Holy Spirit. And out of the innermost man of those that believe in Jesus will gush this very river, this river of life, this living river or living waters is another way of saying it. And so this river is always upping the game. Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. Something's weird. Oh, no, that's, that's correct. That, my, my reference on the first one, I think, was off. I don't know why it was, but sorry about that, guys. Uh, and when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000. It was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. That's, we know it as the Dead Sea. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. So we know that in the eternal kingdom, there is a river. It's a river of life, and it's going to create life wherever it goes. It's going to sponsor life wherever it goes. So we see that in the book of Revelation. We also see what Jesus is saying is that out of every believer is going to gush a river. 
And what we see in this river, this is a temple, as Paul is going to give us that great revelation, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? And that out of you, he doesn't say this in the New Testament, but you can infer it in and through Christ's teachings on this very river, that out of this temple is going to gush a river. And what do we know about that river? It is a progressing river. You see, when we heed where that river is going, see, what's Ezekiel need to do? He needs to keep moving in the direction of the river. So if you look at that as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a stagnant pond. He is progressing. He is desiring to change a nation, is what he's doing here. He's going to literally heal a nation. Wherever that river goes, he's going to bring healing. And so this work of grace inside of you is saying, hey, are you ready to come forward? I'm going to measure another thousand cubits. Let's go. But I'm fine. I'm in the river. I'm up to my ankles. Isn't that good enough? I don't see anyone else in my generation that's deeper than that. In fact, I see a whole bunch of people standing on the bank and not even in the river. I think I'm good enough. And yet, the key to this story is that we need to be in the river and progressing with it. We have a, we have a propensity to justify why we are deep enough. And yet, I'm going to say we need to up our game. And so we need to heed the movement of the river. The river is moving in a direction, and we need to agree with it and go with the river instead of fight against it. And so when we do that, we see a progression, and that progression is very, very important. First of all, life is going to be created in and through that, and we are going to see more of the river and less of us. So as a result, as, uh, as we agree with the river, you're going to see more of the river and less of us. And that's precisely what needs to happen. Upping my wake-up routine. So because okay is not good, good is not great, and great is not sensational. Now I'm going to read that line again because I want you to ponder this. This is an attitude. Okay is not good. So in other words, okay is good enough for most people. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah, but okay is not good, and we want to at least be good, right? We don't want to be okay. But then good is not great. Why would you settle for good if you could be great? But then why would you settle for great if you could be sensational? And that's the attitude of the believer. In other words, if you're at okay, well, then I want to upgrade to good. If you're at good, I want to upgrade to great. If you're at great, I want to upgrade to sensational. If you're at sensational, I'm not exactly sure what other word we can upgrade to, but I'm sure there's a good one. So upping my wake-up routine. The reason this message is even sort of making its way into my consciousness is this is where it started. I have felt, first of all, one of my strengths in my life is my wake-up routine. And so probably many of you even know my wake-up routine. I, I've described it many times because it's a core foundational point in my life of how I greet my day. And so when I wake up, and I, I've gone from you know, the grumble, the moan, the snooze button, to a very sharp wake-up routine where I am establishing pattern and thought for my entire day by how I greet the day. So I'm not going to be pushed around by my flesh, first thing. I'm going to make it very clear that this body is ruled by the Spirit of God. And so the moment my alarm goes off, which is now a Fitbit uh, hap, hap, haptic noise or haptic sound, right? And it's this buzz on my wrist, and I just go, and I click it off. And now I'm going to give you my previous routine, okay? And so before I give you my upgraded routine, I'm going to give you my previous routine. My long practice wake-up tradition. So I've been doing this for 
a long time. I don't know how many years, but it's been a lot of time. It's a good routine. Move without hesitation and put my feet on the floor. So the first thing I'm going to do is just stick my feet on the floor, and I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to ponder snooze. Snooze is not allowed in the life of Eric Ludi. I'm not saying for you. I'm saying for the life of Eric Ludi. Because when I go to bed, I'm sane and sound in judgment. When I'm tired in the morning, I'm not. So why would I consult a groggy Eric, a self-centered, fleshly Eric, in the morning when I was very sound of judgment at night when I said I need to get up at this time, all right? So I'm going with the sound, Eric, the night before, right? So this is my logic. I'm going to stick my feet on the floor, and I'm going to stand up. And the first thing I'm going to say is, good morning, Lord. And sometimes I like, good morning, Lord. Right? It doesn't come out very clearly because your brain can be a fog bank, right? And yet I'm going to bust through that fog bank, and I'm going to start walking. And I start declaring the realities of my soul. I'm in Christ, I'm in his death, I'm in his burial, I'm in his resurrection. This has been my tradition for years of my life. And, and I would say it's one of my secrets, okay? It's one of the keys in my life. However, what's my message about? Upping your game. So even though, and I have one more thing on the list, defy the oppressions, because there, I have had a lot of oppressions meet me to, to greet me first thing in the morning. So I just get back in bed. You're not going to make any difference in this world, Eric. You actually think you, you, know, you have this whole Jesus thing down, but I'm going to stop you. I mean, I feel it right when I get I don't know if other people are greeted with this. Boy, I have years of being greeted with that. I, in the authority of Christ's name, defy that. Okay, That's, that's my morning wake-up routine for years. What if I were to upgrade this? Now, I wasn't thinking of needing to upgrade this, but I feel like God taught me to upgrade it. And that's, that's where I'm sort of bringing you guys into some of the processing of my own life is that why would I just stay with something that's good if I could have something that was great? And that's what I feel God's doing inside of me is, Eric, I feel like there is a whole volume knob for joy in your life that you have on. I mean, it's like a two out of, you know, 50 but what if we were to crank that puppy up? And what if you were to turn on the joy right when your alarm goes off in the morning and the first thing you do is explode with joy? Huh. And so I'm gonna introduce you to my new wake-up routine that I've been practicing. My new upped wake-up routine. It sounds, it's funny because upped, you know how the rest of the world is woke? We could be upped, all right? I'm just giving some, some thoughts here. <clears throat> Okay, so enthusiastically move without hesitation and put my feet on the floor. There's a difference between me sticking my feet on the floor immediately and doing it enthusiastically. You see the difference? It's a slight difference, but it's real to me. And I know the difference. Like, yes! First thing, when my alarm goes off, yes! It's time to get up and meet the day. This is the day the Lord has made. And this is exactly what's been going on inside of me exuberantly rejoice, even shout for joy in my inner man. So this is the concept. I don't really want to wake up Leslie, first thing, because this could be quite dramatic if I, the, my thing goes on. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> so that would be hard on Leslie, and it might, yeah, I think there's a proverb about not waking someone up with a loud noise. So, so, but inside, I've been shouting. I've been practicing it. It's like, Ah, okay, so if you were getting that via podcast, you didn't see my facial expression. But it's a loud shout. It's a roar within my soul for joy. I, this is a new day. Jesus is in control. 
He is on the throne. This is the attitude I'm bringing to it. Exult in my Savior's victory and excitedly declare good morning to my Lord. You see, the difference between groggily saying, good morning, Lord. See, which is very pleasant, and it's been very pleasant. It's been a delightful morning routine. But this is the upped version of it. Start walking, but inwardly hold my fist triumphantly in the air. In fact, this morning I was like this, walking into the bathroom, because I knew I was going to have a sermon about it today, too. I had to be extra sensitive to this. It's like, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Declare the realities of my soul with extreme cheer and resolute conviction, and then laugh at the oppressions and hold them in derision. It has more energy. It has more strength. It is a souped-up version of my morning routine. Okay, so what I'm saying this for isn't, I don't know how it's going to affect your morning routine. I'm not really just talking about morning routines here. I'm talking about life. That we can say, hey, what I'm already doing is good enough. Or we could take another step into an endless frontier. We could progress with the river deeper. And that's what I want to encourage you with is that that life, that's a life-giving river, and more life increases inside of you when you agree with the direction of that river. The world is our oyster. Now, notice I have oyster crossed out, and I have prison cell there, which isn't as as fun-sounding, right? The world is our prison cell? So when we were out at BGU, uh, Dan Brocky, he was describing for us, it's a certain people group that right now are under great oppression. And the light of Christ is being so harshly attacked. And so I think it was 2.5 billion cameras in the nation right now. 2.5 billion. There are two cameras for every human in that country. And any movement is now noticed. So could you imagine what that would be like? I mean, some of us are feeling a little oppressed in America right now, and that Big Brother is sort of growing bigger uh, by the day, and yet that's Big Brother. <laughs> that's like so hard to even comprehend, right? And, but the way that these believers are functioning is very different than we would guess. They're not sucking their thumb. They're not living in you know, fear of this. This is their attitude. I just put it up on the screen, and that is, The world is our prison cell. We're already in prison because the whole country we're in is a prison. So, well, what are you doing about that? I'm in prison ministry. They're in prison ministry. Here's here's the thought. Think about this. If you're already a prisoner, then why would you fear getting arrested and being transferred to a different prison? That's just like saying, oh, where's my next mission field? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to my next mission field. You see, it's a completely different attitude that frees you to be able to be aggressive in the midst of a hostile environment. It's an attitude. You see, the idea of the world is our oyster, which is very, I could say it American, even though it's a Shakespearean statement. It's a very American statement, which is all possibilities. Everything is open to you. If you want to make a million bucks by the age of 25, you do that. There's a pearl that is in this. So every, every challenge that you could face, it, you can thrive in the midst of it, which is actually a, not a bad concept, right? I like it. However, I'm going to start with something that might sound a little heavy, sort of hard not to have it sound heavy. The world is our prison cell. See, for those of us that grew up in this country, civil liberties are of great value to us. 
but they don't always serve us well in the deepening of our Christian faith. It's, it's a funny statement I just made there because I would prefer, if you gave me a vote between giving up civil liberties and keeping them, I would vote to keep them, right? However, civil liberties, oftentimes we live to preserve them instead of live as if we're prisoners of Christ. You see, if you're a prisoner already, then you don't worry about being arrested for your grandstand for Jesus Christ. If you're dead already, you don't fear about dying. But if you're very much alive and free with your civil liberties and have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and you're guarded over that, you have a tendency to guard that instead of guard the kingdom. And so that's all I want to put my finger on is I'm very interested in what's going on in these countries because they have something I think we could learn from. So if the world is your prison cell, listen to what happens to them as, uh, as Christians that we would say are under oppression, but they might have a better attitude than we have. Therefore, if the world is our prison cell, we do not fear arrest. Therefore, we do not fear being found out. Therefore, we do not fear losing civil liberties. They don't have them anyways, so why would you fear losing them? Therefore, we are full-time in prison ministry. Well, they have a very defined ministry. That would be helpful for a lot of us. What God, what is my ministry? They know their ministry. It's called prison ministry. So I'm going to switch the statement here. Our prison cell is our oyster. You see, it's a different way of looking at it. Instead of complaining about the prison cell, let's just accept the fact that the enemy wants us dead. Okay, instead of fighting that, instead of imagining it away or just sort of closing our eyes and just hoping it all goes away, why don't we just accept the fact that we live in hostile territory? Because America sometimes creates a delusion that the, there isn't an enemy and that he isn't out to destroy the truth. But right now that veneer is very thin and we're sort of catching the glimpse of it that it's like, huh, there really is an enemy out there, and he desires to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that a long time ago. You see, we are as sheep unto a slaughter. If you know that, then you have to have the right mentality towards it. You have to recognize the triumph that is in it. If all you knew is that there was death awaiting you and that there was no hope beyond death, or that all the trials and the tribulations that you face are just a waste, just you know, grimacing pain. Well, we would be the most pitiable people on earth, but we have something beyond it, and we know that every challenge we face makes us stronger. So the prison cell is our oyster. Singing in our prison cell. So let's imagine that we sort of adopt the prison cell mindset, and we, it's, it's going to take us a bit as, as Americans to grasp this, I think. I, I, I think everything in us is fighting it. And I, I get that. It's, I'm, I'm similar probably to many of you in here. Remember, I, I used to teach constitutional law. I love our American form of government. And it is, I mean, I'm grief-stricken in seeing its very moorings meltdown. At the same time, I want to serve a higher agenda than the American form of government. The American form of government has value. However, the kingdom of heaven is lasting. It's eternal. And therefore, I want to put my stock in the right future. I want to make sure that I go where the kingdom of heaven goes. And I want to follow that river. But it's going to go deeper. Yeah, it's going to go deeper. And that can be a little scary. You know, even the, uh, 
Pilgrim's Progress, the picture of transitioning into the kingdom of heaven is the river, the crossing a river. And that's sort of what it's like. It gets deeper and deeper. Well, I'm going to be swallowed up in that. Yeah, but look where you're headed. You're headed towards life. Singing in our prison cell, Acts 16. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, there's a great story that follows this about the, the jailer himself coming to Christ. It's a great story. However, is this how we are handling our current circumstances? Is this how we handle our lockdowns? Is this how we handle our inconveniences? As Americans, we're so used to fighting back, and I'm not against us wielding whatever needs to be wielded in this time, in such a way that matches our biblical mandate, okay? And that can be various, and there can be a, a spectrum of how we all interpret that. But I want to make sure that we function as Christians throughout it, not just as Americans, but as Christians throughout this. And sometimes when you spend so much of your focus just trying to maintain the kingdoms of this earth and preserve them so that we have civil liberty, and you don't spend your energies and your time investing in the kingdom of heaven— you go down into the dumps. You have great oppressions upon your life which God did not assign to you. But in a sense, you are agreeing with the world's mentality that this is what matters instead of the eternal is what matters. And as a result, you're not living with the levity and the joy and the peace that is afforded to us in Christ Jesus. I want us to be singing right now. I want us not just to wake up in the morning with a shout. I want us to greet every challenge in our day with a shout. So whatever it is in your life, I'm not just talking about morning routines, I'm talking about life. If we were to up our game instead of just survive right now, but to take that which has been supplied to us, everything that we need for life and godliness, and begin to use it. Upping our game. Here's my little phrase for the day. Because okay is not good, good is not great, and great is not sensational. So we need to up our game. So I'm going to give you some options that you can begin to consider. How are we waking up and greeting our day? So that was how I started. It's not going to harm you to ponder that, okay? Some of you could probably up your game there. How are we greeting our living room challenges? So these are going to be the home level challenges, okay? When you enter those, see, even just waking up is a challenge. You ever notice that? It's a funny thing to call a challenge, but it is. It's a tremendous challenge for some of us. And so as a result, to apply grace to that is very, very important. Well, how about our family dynamic? To actually not just accept breakdown, to not accept a, a lower uh, behavior, but to actually say, God, I need grace for this. Now, some of you could say, I've asked for grace in the past. Well, go after it afresh. In other words, be like Jacob and say, I will not let go until. No, you have what I need, and I'm not going to stop wrestling until I get it. So if we were to apply that to our living room challenges, how could we up our game? 
How are we greeting our office challenges? So this is our daily work. How are we greeting this? Because I guarantee you there's going to be challenges there. But how are we greeting these? Are we greeting them sort of with our old school mentality? Like, hey, look, I've been a good worker for years, and I've always had integrity, and I've worked hard. Or are we ready to be Christ at a whole other level in our business environment, whatever that be? How do we greet our sidewalk challenges? So that's like going around town. How are we dealing with our culture? How are we dealing with the things where suddenly they say, uh, sir, uh, in Larimer County, you need a mask? And, you know, what's going on in some of your minds? I know it. It's like, this thing is ridiculous. It's been proven not to help one bit. And yet, how do you handle those moments? Are you ready? Are you ready to up your game and truly rejoice? Like, yeah! What an opportunity to show Jesus this is. Some of you are like, I'm not exactly sure, Eric. I think we might want to take your temperature on that one. I, I, I just was in Larimer County yesterday. That's why it's a fresh thought in my head. And yes, this could be frustrating. This could put us into the dumps. This could make us mad. Or we could rise up and sing, shout, and say, Lord, teach me through this. I want to love everyone in this room right now. What happens typically when we get upset is we are thinking about our little world as opposed to turning outward and sharing Jesus in that exact moment. How do we greet our governmental challenges? I'm not sure if you can drudge one of those up these days, but you know they're, they're may, they may be out there, some governmental challenges. Yes, how do we greet those? Are we a shout? Are we enthusiastically embracing the time in which we live to say, Lord, give me wisdom of how to apply? That does not mean we accept it. That doesn't mean we don't voice our opinion. It doesn't mean we don't apply a vote. It means that we behave as Christians. I doubt Paul was supportive of tyrannical government, and yet he still sang in his prison cell. He didn't grumble and moan, and yet he also applied wisdom. And when his Roman citizenship could... Uh, could afford some type of uh, uh, liberties for him to go and continue to progress the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus in this world, he would leverage it. And so I'm not against being wise in the midst of this. At the same time, I want us to be singing in our prison cells. How are we greeting our oppressions? How are we greeting our diminishments? How are we greeting our accusations? How are we greeting our condemnations? How are we greeting our forebodings? There's a lot that's hitting us right now. The enemy wants to snuff out your sense of future and hope. He wants to put you down into the dumps. And yet, if you don't upgrade your operating system, you'll go down into the dumps. God has supplied a greater grace for the hour in which we need. However, we need to upgrade to it. Lord, I am not letting go until I get the upgrade package here. Because I do not want to stew. I do not want to be in a selfish haze. I do not want to be thinking about disconnecting from the world around me, just going into hiding. I want to boldly engage with the world in which I have been assigned to reach. And so, Lord, I need what you alone can give. And don't let go until you get that which is necessary to up your game. Upping the water, it's a funny phrase. Stepping forward in the life. So how do we really up our game? We need to up the water. How do you up the water? You move forward in agreement with the Holy Spirit. That's how the water ups. And so as a result, what we want to do is up the power of God in our life. How are we going to do that? We have to keep moving forward. Yeah, I know it was nice when it was just up to the ankles. You had some wonderful memories. God did great things in your life. However, he wants to do more in your life. So don't call that good enough 
progress where the Spirit of God is going and go deeper. Allow that water to up in your life. More of him. Ezekiel 47. So how do you do that? Again, he measured 1,000 cubits and brought me through. I thought that was an interesting thing. It doesn't say, and Ezekiel walked. It actually says, and he brought me through. I think that's a great way of saying it. What we need to be is available to be brought in that direction. I think for most of us in here, it's not just grit and determination that we need right now. It's simple willingness. It's saying, God, I, I agree. My operating system is having some problems right now, and my computer is dated. What used to work even two years ago in my Christian life is not functioning. I'm getting a lot of spinning wheels uh, on my screen and I'm, I'm not able to rise up to some of these things. They're actually impacting me in a way that's shocking me. Lord, I want a fuller package. I need what you have to give to your saints right now for such a time as this. The secret of being dead to start out the day. You see, if you start out your day dead, it changes everything. I know that sounds really funny. It sounds rather morbid, too, I, I have to admit. This, the translation of Christianity into our world is really odd. However, it's the attitude Paul carried with him. He woke up every day and died. As he said, I die daily. Now, that's not just one death. That could be a thousand deaths that day. You know that in so many different moments, we need to make sure that we relinquish our life. It's a deliberate choice that we need to take. Now, some people would say, it's like picking up your cross and just carrying it through your life. This is a symbol. I have given up life. When you are carrying a cross, you don't have the rights of everyone else around you. And in other words, you've given up those. Why? Well, because you're going to your death. And a criminal or a convict doesn't have those anymore. Now, we may not be criminals and convicts, but we are crossbearers. And we are following Jesus. So therefore, we live as if we are dead men instead of as if we have all these rights that need to be preserved. For dead men do not fear dying. So imagine someone was dead on the stage. I know it's some, again, morbid uh, sort of statement. But if someone's dead on the stage, and imagine I asked him a question. Or how about this? This is a fascinating one. Imagine a bomb was, uh, like a missile was aimed right at our chapel. Okay, and it's coming, and we're like, it's five minutes out. It's four minutes out. It's three minutes out. Now, inside of all of us, I'd hope that we would stand here and we'd be singing, we'd be praising God, not even a thought of the fact that we're about to blow up, right? That would be really nice. However, I could imagine that there would be little notions in the head. It's like, oh, oh, okay, Lord, I'm singing. I mean, it's an interesting battle when you face death. This guy on the stage, not one thought about it, right? He's dead. So he's not concerned about the missile hitting the chapel building. I mean, that, he's sort of like cheating, don't you think? It's like, what? I want to be like that guy. And, and Jesus says, you can be. However, it's a decision in the inner man to relinquish instead of to hold on. For dead men do not fear dying. Listen to this. Prisoners do not fear imprisonment. If you're already imprisoned, you're not fearing imprisonment. Isn't that just a funny thought? However, we sort of do because we're not prisoners, even in our attitude. And so as a result, we fear losing the life that we now have. And that is the greatest threat, I would say, over these past couple of years, is we feel our life as we would prefer it has been infringed upon. 
And what we need to do is freshly relinquish that life to Jesus and say, God, technically I'm your bondservant. Whatever life you desire me to have, whatever mission field you desire me to have, that's what I want to have. However long you want me to live in this life, in this body, that's how long I want to live and no more. What you have defined for me is what I choose, and I believe it's the best and the highest course. 1 Corinthians 15, 30 through 31. Paul speaking. Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. That's his answer. I die daily. So why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Because we're dead. That's why we do it. We are not alive as you would suppose. We do not live and think as you do. We give up our, our life daily, multiple times a day. We know that our life here is, is but a vapor, and there's something so much greater that we're living for. So as we process through this, I want us to personally evaluate this, take it, and use it. I don't know how you could apply this. I don't know what it means to you. I know what it means to me. I feel like for me, it's not just my morning routine. It's I want to be more present and more active and more vibrant with my wife and my kids. Very specifically, like for me, if I was going to apply this. I feel like in so many regards in my life, I am rejoicing, I am standing boldly, and yet I want every sector of my life to have the upgrade in it. I don't want to say, look, I've been a good father and a good husband, I've done the best I know how, right? I mean, it's just a classic justification if you feel like, you know, you know that, that ping, you know, where you could, you could hear something that says you're not doing good enough? You could, I mean, we feel it all day long, especially if you are a parent. That's, a, that's like your livelihood. It, it feels like you have that as your career, is that you are failing, you're not doing enough. But what I want to do is I want to upgrade and say, God, I want more. I want to do this better. I don't know what you would say to that. What would be your point where you recognize that you need the upgrade and you need to rise to a new level? You have the grace to do it, the question that I want to present to you is, do you really agree with God and are you ready to go deeper in that water? Because he's ready to take you there. Father, take us there. Lord, I ask that you would do this work in us. I'm not necessarily going to ask that you bypass our desires in it, but I sort of want you to. I just want you to lift us and carry us deeper into the water. I want you to carry your global church deeper. Lord, I want to reveal you as the body of Christ, as individuals, but also as the corporate body. I want something more. Lord, we need power in the church of Jesus Christ right now. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask for that in the name of Jesus. I ask that your saints would do exploits and that, Lord, we would live with an attitude that truly triumphs in difficulty and not just in spite of it. Lord Jesus, we ask for the upgrade. We ask that you would supply us with a greater measure of grace for the task we have been called to. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. 
To take this specific message deeper through our daily Thunder discussions, visit ellerslie.com, where you can also explore our sermon library or learn more about joining us in person at the Church at Ellerslie here in Windsor, Colorado. Thanks for listening.